welcome to Seeking Rents, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Garcia, the publisher of Seeking Rents, where we explore the ways businesses influence public policy in Florida. This is episode 13. The name Seeking Rents comes from a term in economics called rent-seeking. And rent-seeking is what happens when someone with influence, like a billionaire or a big corporation, uses that influence to get laws changed in a way that lets them make more money for themselves at the expense of someone else. So obviously, one of the main ways that these rent seekers gain influence with politicians is by giving those politicians lots of money in the form of campaign contributions. This probably won't surprise anyone listening to this, but Florida politics is utterly awash in money. The biggest campaign contributors shower the governor, members of the legislature, and other state elected officials with tens of millions of dollars every year, plus millions of dollars more worth of free trips on private jets, free theme park tickets, free hotel rooms, and free luxury boxes at sports stadiums around the country. This is partly the result of a bunch of changes that were made a decade ago under former Governor Rick Scott when he and the state legislature rewrote Florida's election laws in a way that made it even easier for Florida politicians to raise enormous sums of money from donors. That was uh, not great. But those changes weren't entirely bad, because they also included some new rules that forced Florida politicians to reveal more information about their donors to the public. In other words, Rick Scott let a lot more money into the system, but he at least added a little more transparency, too. But guess what? Ron DeSantis and the current Florida legislature just killed off even that modest bit of reform. DeSantis kept the money, but ditched the transparency. And this isn't the first time DeSantis has done something like this. The Republican governor, who, by the way, is now running for president with the help of a super PAC that's been funded by five, six, and even seven-figure checks written by businesses and billionaires— has also used his power as governor to unrival local reforms, too. You know, as wonky as this subject is, there aren't many issues that unite people like campaign finance reform. Whether you're a uh, tax-the-rich true believer or a Donald Trump ride-or-die, I bet you agree that there is too much money in politics and there needs to be more transparency at least. And yet, under Ron DeSantis, Florida keeps moving backwards on this allowing more money with less transparency. And you know who's really thrilled about it? Florida's biggest businesses, the same ones making so many of these giant campaign contributions. We'll go through all of this in detail in just a little bit. But first, a few announcements. Um, as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter at SeekingRentsFL.com. This will ensure that every story we write and every podcast we produce is immediately emailed to your inbox. Subscriptions are free, but you can choose to pay for one too. Please do if you can afford it. Paid subscriptions help us cover the cost of expenses like public records requests. Also, I wanted to take a moment and flag some fantastic recent reporting in the Washington Post, which just broke a really interesting story about Florida politics. That story revealed that one of the biggest real estate developers in Florida gave Ron DeSantis a $30,000 golf simulator to be installed at the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. Now, technically, this was a loan, and it was made through an entity called the Governor's Mansion Commission. That's an avenue of influence that even I wasn't aware of. And there are few people in Florida who have more influence than the real estate developer who arranged this, 
Maury Hosseini, who runs a home building company in Daytona Beach called ICI Homes. In fact, a few days later, the Post published a second story reporting that the DeSantis administration has steered $92 million in federal COVID relief funds toward the construction of a new interchange on Interstate 95. This interchange uh, would destroy wetlands and threaten a protected creek that's popular with kayakers and canoeists. But this interchange would also help one of Maury Hosseini's new housing developments. The news of this particular interchange and Hosseini's role in it was actually first broken by another fantastic journalist, Craig Pittman, a legendary environmental writer in Florida. I'll post links to both the Post stories and Craig's in the show notes. I bet there's more coming on this front, too. For instance, Hosseini apparently also once arranged for DeSantis to play a round of golf at Augusta National in Georgia, the site of the annual Masters Golf Tournament and one of, if not the most exclusive courses in the United States. If I understand it right, this happened after DeSantis was elected governor, but before he was actually sworn into office. This isn't the sort of gift that just anyone can give, and I don't think anyone has ever been able to fully explain how Hosseini was able to make it happen for DeSantis. I doubt we've heard the last of it, though. But anyway, on to this week's main topic. Okay, so a few days before the end of this year's session of the Florida legislature, during one of those blink-and-you-missed-it public meetings that began after 8 p.m. on a Sunday night and lasted for less than six minutes, Florida lawmakers slipped a new issue into this year's state budget. It was, essentially, a set of handcuffs to be slapped onto local communities around Florida that have been trying to fight water pollution by reducing the use of lawn fertilizer during the summer. Now, the summer is when... Florida has thunderstorms nearly every day, which can then wash fertilizer off of grass and flush it into rivers, lakes, and coastal estuaries, where it can then feed blooms of toxic algae. So a bunch of cities and counties around the state have enacted local laws over the years that restrict or outright ban the sale of fertilizer during the summer. This last-minute set of handcuffs that Florida lawmakers snuck into the state budget, which Ron DeSantis has already signed into law, will prevent any more communities from adopting their own seasonal fertilizer bans for at least the next year. And any of those cities and counties that already have summer bans in place, well, they won't be able to make any changes for at least the next year either. Nobody had any idea at the time where on earth this new freeze on fertilizer rules had come from. After all, the leaders of the Florida legislature basically hid it from the public until the very end of session. But Craig Pittman, he's that legendary environmental journalist I mentioned earlier, eventually figured it out. It turns out that Florida lawmakers got this idea from True Green, the giant lawn care company. But Florida lawmakers got more than just this idea from True Green. They also got $35,000. Specifically, records show that True Green cut a $25,000 check shortly before session began to a fundraising committee controlled by the president of the Florida Senate, plus another $10,000 check to a committee controlled by the second highest ranking member of the state Senate. These are the biggest campaign contributions True Green has ever made in Florida. But uh, hey, I guess the company got its money worth at least. Now, of course, This sort of thing happens all the time in Tallahassee. Let me just give you one more small example for right now. This session, lawmakers also passed a bunch of subsidies for Florida's horse racing industry. 
The subsidies included $34 million in taxpayer money for Gulfstream Park, a racetrack in South Florida that's owned by an international racing and gambling conglomerate, and another $11 million for Tampa Bay Downs, another track in Tampa. These two racetracks got a tax break, too. Those two racetracks also handed out lots of cash to Florida lawmakers in the run-up to session. For example, Gulfstream Park gave more than $150,000 to state lawmakers, including $15,000 each to the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House. Tampa Bay Downs and its owners gave $100,000, including $25,000 each to the Senate President and House Speaker. Now, if you ask the governor or any lawmaker about whether these donations have any influence on them, they'll claim it does not. They might even get angry at the question and act like they've been personally impugned. <laughs> a spokesperson for the Speaker of the Florida House of Representatives recently claimed that I was bordering on defamation because I asked about a $25,000 donation the Speaker of the House had taken from a high-profile lawyer who the House Speaker then tried to help during session. This sort of response is an example of and I'm going to use a technical term here, pissing on someone's leg and telling them it's raining. Of course, these donations have an impact on the politicians who take them. You don't have to take my word for this, by the way. Just listen to the donors themselves. While doing a bit of research for this, I stumbled across a publication called The Florida Horse. It's produced by a group called the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, which represents people who own and breed racehorses. It was another one of the groups that lobbied for these racing industry subsidies. Anyway, I happened across the January 2023 issue, which means it published just before Florida's annual legislative session began. And one of the articles was an interview with the association's new president, in which he urged members to donate to the group's political action committee, which it then uses to make donations to Florida politicians. In the interview, the president told his members that those donations to Florida lawmakers would help open doors in Tallahassee. Here's the exact quote, quote, we all know that in government, raising political contributions is important in getting a seat at the table so your industry's voice can be heard. In other words, campaign contributions buy access in the Florida legislature, and everybody knows it. This is why campaign finance laws are so important, particularly transparency laws. If we can't stop donors from giving money to politicians, we can at least make sure that politicians can't hide that money from us. But that's what Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature are doing. The most recent example happened just a few weeks ago, when DeSantis signed yet another big elections bill into law. Parts of this bill got a lot of attention at the time, especially the part that allows Ron DeSantis to run for president without giving up his position as governor. That's right. The Florida legislature rewrote the law this spring so that Ron DeSantis can spend his days campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire while still collecting a salary from Florida taxpayers. But there was a lot more in this elections bill, including a change that allows Florida politicians to hide their money from the public for longer periods of time. I mentioned at the top that Florida rewrote its campaign finance laws back in 2013 under former Governor Rick Scott in a way that let more money into the system but that at least added a bit more transparency too. Specifically, what they did was start making the governor, legislators, and every other state elected official file campaign finance reports more frequently, at least once a month instead of only once every three months. These finance reports tell you who a politician took money from and what they did with that money, and they're all online available for anyone to read. 
Making Florida politicians file these reports more frequently was the big trade-off for all those other changes that let them raise more money overall. But Ron DeSantis just undid that change. The elections bill he signed lets Florida politicians go back to only filing reports once every three months. Now, they will still have to file reports more frequently right before an election, but for most of the time, they'll be able to hide their donors for longer stretches. This might seem like a minor change on the surface, but it's going to have a big impact. Here's one example of how. First, you should know that Florida lawmakers are not allowed to raise money when they're in session. But one side effect of that session fundraising ban is that the last few days before session become an absolute orgy of political fundraisers. The legislature's annual session always begins on a Tuesday morning. But if you want to know how the place really works, you need to be in Tallahassee on the Monday evening before. If you're in Tallahassee that night, you can spot lobbyists walking around downtown with envelopes that are literally stuffed with checks to hand out to dozens of lawmakers who are all holding fundraisers at various offices and restaurants surrounding the state capitol. Members of the Florida legislature always raise an ungodly amount of money in those last few days before session. For instance, the 2022 session began on January 11th, and in those first 10 days of January, Florida lawmakers raised around $10 million. That's like $1 million a day. The president of the Florida Senate at the time, who is now serving as Florida's commissioner of agriculture, raised more than $2 million just for himself. But because those lawmakers had to report their donors every month, the public could learn all the gory details within a few weeks, while those lawmakers were still in session and before they'd made any final decisions on bills or budgets. So when that Senate president tried to spend $1 billion of taxpayer money building two new state prisons, one of which was likely to be turned over to a private prison company, Everyone could see that he'd just taken $200,000 from donors linked to the GEO Group, the nation's largest private prison company. But things could be much different next year. Next year's session also begins in January, on January 9th to be specific. And you can bet that Florida lawmakers will pocket millions of dollars during the first eight days of that month. But now, the public might not learn who gave them their money until three months later, after all the bills have passed, the state budget is done, and session is over. Yes, we will eventually find out who greased whose palms, but not until after all the important decisions have already been made. And like I said, this isn't the first time that DeSantis has killed campaign finance reforms either. There have been a number of local communities around Florida where voters, disgusted by the amount of money being dumped into elections, have tried to take matters into their own hands. This has happened in both red and blue communities, by the way. In Sarasota, for instance, voters passed local referendums that imposed really strict fundraising limits on candidates running in city and county elections. You couldn't take more than $200 from any single donor. And in the city of Tallahassee, voters passed a referendum capping donations at $250. But the most ambitious attempt to stem the influence of money in local politics came in the city of St. Petersburg on Florida's west coast. It happened in 2017, just as St. Pete was in the midst of an ugly and very expensive race for mayor. The two leading candidates raised a combined $3 million, and two-thirds of that money was raised and spent through opaque super PACs that could take unlimited donations from donors. So the city council in St. Petersburg passed a whole suite of reforms. 
the biggest change essentially capped the amount of money super PACs could spend on city elections. St. Pete was the first city in the entire country to try this. Supporters called it the Defend Our Democracy Ordinance, and they hoped it would become a model for other cities to follow, both in Florida and around the country. And then Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature stepped in. In 2021, they passed a state law that essentially gutted every single one of these local reforms. First, they forbid cities and counties from setting tougher fundraising limits than the state itself. That obliterated those $200 and $250 donation caps in Sarasota and Tallahassee, which, of course, is a huge advantage for real estate developers and other deep-pocketed donors who could afford to throw thousands of dollars at every election for city council and county commission. But even worse, this new state law also forbid local communities from imposing any regulations whatsoever on how outside political committees, like super PACs, raise or spend money in local elections. This was directly aimed at killing the reforms that had passed in St. Pete. So, with a single stroke of a pen, Ron DeSantis essentially stopped every city, county, and town in the state of Florida from doing anything at all to control the amount of money being spent in their own elections. There was, by the way, exactly one organization that publicly lobbied in favor of this new law, at least according to lobbying records maintained in the state house. Who was it? The Florida Chamber of Commerce, the big business front group that represents giant campaign contributors like U.S. Sugar, Florida Power and Light, and Publix. Which, if you think about it for even a minute, makes perfect sense. Because the only people who want more money in politics are the big donors trying to buy off politicians and the politicians who want to cash their checks. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Before we go, though, a quick update on our last episode, which was about the Mosaic Company, the giant industrial firm that mines phosphate rock and turns it into fertilizer. Mosaic's chemical factories near Tampa produce a mildly radioactive waste product called phosphogypsum, they can't be used for anything because it's poisonous to both people and the environment. But Mosaic, which naturally is a major campaign contributor in Florida, just lobbied a bill through the legislature that would have the state start trying to use phosphogypsum in road construction. It was very quickly nicknamed the Radioactive Roads Bill. Well, Ron DeSantis just signed the Radioactive Roads Bill into law. As always, if you've got any feedback on this show, or if you want to suggest ideas for any future ones, please reach out to me at any time. My contact info will be in the show notes. And again, please subscribe at SeekingRentsFL.com. That's SeekingRentsFL.com. And pay for a subscription if you can afford it. Every little bit really does help. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. See you soon.